if um, <clears throat> you're at all a, a history buff or a student of history, in, in particular like me, if <clears throat> you're a student of military history, <clears throat> one of the fascinating things of that kind of history is in every clash, in every conflict, uh, in every war between nations, there's always that turning point. There's always that moment, the game changer, that shifts the direction uh, and the results of what will be for the lives of people and of nations. Um, <clears throat> probably one of the most uh, important uh, or influential in recent times uh, is in World War II. And uh, one of the, the, the great and consequential battles of World War II, and it was called the Battle of the Bulge. Maybe you have family members that uh, were there or people you knew who served um, uh, at that battle. It was um, one of the most influential and one of the most bloodiest battles of the war. Um, it was a battle in which Adolf Hitler, in kind of his final last desperate attempt uh, to bring Germany back on top, took all of his resources and threw them at the Allies, hoping that, that he could split them and, and break them and keep them separated uh, from each other so that he could turn his attention on the Eastern Front uh, with the Soviets. Um, and as you know, as history shows, it, it didn't work. It failed miserably. And yet, it was still one of the costliest battles in World War II. Over 80,000 Americans uh, were killed or wounded. Um, the cost of that battle was just immense. And it's one of the battles that is most remembered when we talk about uh, the history of World War II. And you can, you can go through the history books of uh, all of human time and, and warfare and, and find uh, such battles as that. But strangely enough, one of the greatest battles in all of history, you'll never hear spoken of in any of our human texts chronicling warfare. One of the most profound battles, one of the most raging battles, in fact, the battle that still goes on today, you'll hear not a word of in, in the media or in secular text. It's, it's the battle that goes on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. It's the battle that goes on between the kingdom of good and of evil. Or as, as Paul would say, the battle that goes on between God's holy church and the powers and principalities of this dark world and 
of the rulers in the heavenly realms. The battle that still goes on today. Uh, for the last few weeks, we have um, been looking at a, a study that we call Mastering the Basics. It, it comes out of the whole sense of a new year and, and looking to change ourselves because that's what we do in a new year. We make resolutions so that it will be a new year because something will be different. Something will be different in our lives. And, that, and that's a good thing. The problem is most of the time we're looking to change all the wrong things. We're looking to change things like appearance or position or um, to change income. But we're not really looking to make changes in the area, areas of life that matter. I call this series Mastering the Basics because as we talked about before, real change happens on a basic level. People don't enter into a new year saying that, that they want to strive this year to uh, do more complex math or um, to memorize more of the, of the nations of the third world or to understand deeply the poverty around us and how to engage it. Most of us look at the basic things of life knowing that if we can't even change the basics, how can we get beyond to change the greater things? So we've been looking at mastering the basics, getting, getting a basic understanding and a, a basic direction on how to change the things that are to matter most for us as believers in Christ. How to look at what matters most and try to master it as God would have us master it on a most basic level. Well, well this morning we're going to look at mastering and understanding of the Holy Spirit and of God's church. Now it's interesting, normally you would look at uh, these two subject areas and most of the time you'd split them in half. You would look at understanding God's spirit on, on his own and understanding the church on its own. And yet, when I think of the Holy Spirit, I think of the church. When I think of the church, I think of the Holy Spirit in the same way that when I think of Christ, I think of salvation. And when I think of salvation, I think of Christ. That, that you can't untangle them. That each is so integral to the other that, that there's no way to speak of one without the other. And so this morning, that's what I want us to do is to get a, a basic understanding of God's spirit and God's truth because, and God's church because what you find is what God is trying to do in one, he's trying to do in the other. Um, it's important for us to master it because In order to have real change, you have to know what's going on inside of you and you have to know what's going on around you. 
I mean, doesn't that sound reasonable? That if anything's going to change, I have to know what's going on inside of me and what's going on around me. And that's really what it means when we look at God's Holy Spirit. It means looking at what's going on inside of me and what's going on around me. I want to give you just a, a, a working definition or principle that um, we're going to work off that hopefully gives uh, some uh, greater clarity. And Andreas, if you can put that up. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit transforms what's inside you to unite with those like you to change the world around you. What's the purpose of God's spirit? What is God seeking to do in our lives and his spirit? To transform us. We cannot transform on our own. It's not possible. I've said it before. You can go to Barnes and Noble and you can walk into the self-help section and you will find probably two aisles of books dedicated to self-improvement. Why would you need two aisles filled with books all trying to tell you how to improve yourself? Why would you need more than one book on your, sh- on your shelf? I mean, uh, let's face it, if, if you read the first one and it didn't work, and, and maybe you even read the second one and it didn't work. You're going to keep buying more? I mean, you've you got to be able to step back and say, there's a problem here. Especially when you would say, you know, all the stuff in the first one is good stuff. In fact, the stuff in the second one is good stuff too. It's just said a little different, but it's still the same stuff in the first one. We can't transform ourselves. That's why writers of self-help books make a killing. We'll always have a big audience of people trying to transform themselves and hitting up against a wall. We can't do it. Only God's spirit can transform us. And that's God's purpose in his spirit is to come and transform us. And once transformed to unite us with people just like us. To unite us with people like us in the sense of people who have been transformed in Christ. As Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together lest they abide? That God's purpose is to get us to abide. To be like him and then to gather around people like him. To transform us, to unite us with people like us, to change the world around us. So you enter the new year, I mean, what's the purpose? The purpose is greater transformation. The purpose is greater unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ and the purpose is through that greater transformation and greater unity to change the world 
around you. To see that everything be conformed to God's perfect and pleasing will. So that by God's spirit we walk as God would have us to walk in the way that God would have us to to walk doing the work that God would have us to do in that walk. So what does it mean to have God's spirit and to be a member of the church? What is God doing? He's doing the same thing. What he's doing in us as individuals, he's doing within the church. What he's doing within the church, he's seeking to do with us as individuals. That's why church matters. That's why God's spirit matters. Um, it's interesting when you, when you look at the book of Acts, you know, uh, many commentators and uh, scholars have argued, well, shouldn't it be the acts of the Holy Spirit? And others have said, well, no, it's the acts of the church. Well, who's right? Yes, both of them are right. It's the acts of God's spirit and God's church. They both walk hand in hand. Just like Jesus and our salvation, they walk hand in hand. You can't separate the two. Um, <clears throat> this morning, I, w- I want to take a few minutes with you and just flesh this out a little bit. And we're going to look at John chapter 16. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it and um, we'll have it up on the screen. Now I, have, I see people doing this. Is it cold in here? Um, yes, a little, very cold. Aren't, don't you love diversity? Um, John chapter 16. Beginning at verse 7. Jesus says to his disciples, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness. Now, let me just hold it right there. I want you to see something. When we talk about God's spirit, Jesus talks about, yeah, the spirit will come to you in fullness when I go. And, and literally what you see in the, in the book of Acts is when Jesus goes up, the spirit comes down. Because as Jesus promised his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. That while I will leave you physically, you will have more of me than you ever had spiritually. And I love that term, advocate. Because an advocate is somebody who's on your side, even when you're wrong. And that's such a great thing, isn't it? To know that somebody is on your side, that they are advocating for you. When you're right, when you're misunderstood, when you're unappreciated, when you're misrepresented and when you're actually wrong. An advocate still 
advocates for you. And Jesus said to his disciples, when I leave, my spirit will come to you as an advocate. And, and his work is going to be, in part, in the beginning, convicting the world that they're wrong and they need to be made right. Hang on to that, because we'll get back to that. Uh, continue with that. On, uh, next one. Of righteousness and judgment. Skip down to verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. What is the purpose of God's spirit? To be with us and to guide us? What is it that you see in the book of Acts? A book that is really the history book of the church. And the battle still rages because when you read the book, it never ends. It is still being written today. The purpose of the Spirit is to guide us, to be alongside of us, and to be in front of us, and to be taking us where the battle is. To be maturing us and growing us so that we as individuals will be who God wants us to be, even while corporately we'll be engaging in the battle and bringing the victory that God intends us to bring. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit connects us to Christ. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit to keep us connected to the Son because we're now connected to the Father. The Spirit walks beside me and he walks before me. He does so as an individual and he does so corporately within the church. The two go together. Jesus wasn't speaking to one person. He was speaking to his disciples, but more than that, he was speaking to all of us. Uh, listen to how it's, Jesus says the same thing a little bit differently in John chapter 15. Uh, excuse me, 14. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. What was he saying before? I'm going to teach you everything you need to know to obey me. Why? Because by obeying, you'll be saved? No. But by obeying, you'll be close. You'll be guided. You'll be empowered. Um, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me, all of this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I said to you. You know, we, we talked about the scriptures a few weeks ago. How do we know the scriptures are true? How do we know that, that, that the disciples weren't 
like Pastor Fred, you know, just forgetting things at times and missing details. And, and because God sent his spirit for the very purpose to his disciples to remind them so that as they would record his words, they would get it. They wouldn't miss it. That he would superintend upon their hearts and minds the power of his word. We have a counselor, a counselor who leads us and guides us according to God's word. See, in the church, we are to be sensitive to God's spirit. We have to be looking to ask, what is God doing in his church? And how do we know what we think he's doing is what he's really doing? Very simply. Because nothing that God does in his spirit contradicts his word. Yeah, God is doing a new thing every day in our lives and in each day. But none of it, even while it's new, doesn't conform to the truth that he's given in his word. Let me just share one other scripture with you. Because you see the promise that God has made. I'm going to send my spirit to you. Why? So that you might do something great. Because God's spirit invites us and influences us. So in the end, through invitation and inspiration, we might do what's absolutely impossible. Look at Acts chapter 2 with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, they, see, they, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Skipping down to verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And what did he do? He preached the gospel to them from beginning to end. And, and the result of it was simple. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now just back it up to the beginning. There we go. What do we see about the coming of God's spirit? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why didn't God just show up at their homes when they were by themselves? 
you know, poured out a spirit on each one of them in, in a place where they felt comfortable and, you know, they, had, they didn't have to be bothered by the other people because that's not his will. Whatever God does, God does in community. Whatever God does, God does in unity because it represents the unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They were all in one place because God was seeking to empower them personally, but to empower them corporately, because you can't have one without the other. You want to walk around in God's spirit and do God's work according to God's will in this world without being part of the fellowship of Christ? It isn't going to happen. In fact, it's just pure sin and selfishness. Because that's not what God intended. God's spirit is for God's church and you can't separate the two. Yes, God's spirit is in us individually. But for the purpose of what goes on when we come together corporately. When we seek to serve the world in his name together. Um, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Yeah, all together, and yet still all individuals. It wasn't like this big tongue of fire that hovered over the house that was a sign that, yeah, God was blessing and uh, uniting them together. No, God had them together but they were all filled with his spirit individually. Yeah, we are all filled with God's spirit. And when we are apart from each other, God leads us and directs us by his spirit. But there is always the aching for fellowship with one another. There is always the aching to be the body of Christ to pull it all together to make the difference that God has intended us to make. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. What was God doing? God was doing something powerful in them that was present before the world. God was doing something powerful in them that would allow them to do what God had called them to do. What does God do in his spirit? Well, when you look at these texts, number one, he, he finds us. You didn't find God. You didn't find Jesus. He found you. I mean, just think about it. How many people are not in churches today? Because God's spirit hasn't opened their hearts and their minds, hasn't opened their eyes, and not that he won't, or that not that it's his desire, but the truth is, step one is God has to touch your spirit. Yeah, you have to respond. But the bottom line is this, Unless God's spirit quickens our hearts, nothing happens. 
I can share the gospel and you've done the same thing. You've shared the gospel with people and nothing has happened. I've had people come here and, and believe it or not, have said to me, that was a wonderful sermon. That, that really touched my heart and I never saw them again. Now either they lied or something didn't happen. Now I know this is really hard to believe. I've preached sermons that were just dogs. I mean, I wanted to get out of them as quickly as possible. And I've had people come to me and say, that changed my life. And I've thought, you're sick. That can't change your life. There was nothing life changing in that. But see, God opened their heart and their minds. God sent his spirit to find them and they were found. God finds us through his spirit and through his spirit he fills us. He fills us with his presence and with his power. You are more capable than you think. You are more able then you try. What you view as your limitations are hardly limitations because you have the power and the presence of God's Spirit in you to do what you could not ever think or imagine or perform. God fills us with His Spirit to make possible what was never possible to connect us in ways that we could never be connected to God or to each other. He finds us, he fills us, he forms us. When I saw Cindy and Caleb up there playing, God has formed them that way. Now, you could look at them and say, I can't play violin like that, therefore, I, I'm, I mustn't be saved or I mustn't, I, I, I mustn't be formed right. I mean, because all of those people that God saves play violin and they play piano. No, they don't. Because he doesn't form each person the same. He forms them by the gifts that he gives to each person. And each person is responsible to take those gifts and to perfect them. And you can go to 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. You can go to all passages in the scriptures that talk about uh, the giftings of God's spirit. Because God is forming each and every one of us differently, but forming us for the same purpose, to come together. Because that's what God does. He finds us, he fills us, he forms us. He facilitates us. He takes us and brings us together 
And then he facilitates the work for us to do. And the issue just becomes, are we willing to be found? Are we willing to be filled? Are we willing to be formed? Are we willing to be facilitated? People always say, I, I, just, I just wish God would fill me with more of his spirit. He's not going to. I'm not going to. It's not the issue. The issue is not, do I have more of God's spirit? The issue is, does God's spirit have more of you? Because it won't matter. I mean, you see that in the scriptures. God doing incredible things with people in front of people and they don't respond. I mean, how many times have you read the Bible and you've thought, those stupid people. If I were there, that would never have happened like that. I would have never betrayed Jesus. I would have never denied him. I would have never doubted him. I'm not like the, yes, we are. That's, That's just the way it is. It's only when we're willing to surrender every day. So if that's the work of the Spirit, what's the work of God's church? First and foremost, God's work in us is to seek the lost. Right? Because what's the first thing the Spirit does? The Spirit seeks the lost. The Spirit finds Our job, our great commission through God's spirit as the church is to seek the lost. Well, how do you do that? Find a need and fill it. Look for a hurt and by God's spirit try to heal it. Seek a service and serve it. Put yourself out there and love the unloved and in the midst of it when a real healing, a hearing to be able to speak powerfully. Remember in the book of Acts when, when, when Peter goes up to the temple and, and the cripple guy's there and, and, and he's asking for money and, and he says, um, silver I have not to give you but I give you this, pick up your mat and walk we give whatever we have but we always give more we give the gospel to people who are lost that they might be found because our job is to seek the lost and then secondly our job is to support the found to come alongside brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them, to enable them, to educate, to exhort, to be pouring yourself into the people around you. We, don't, we seek the loss, but, but our job is also to support the found. When someone's hurt, when someone's sick, we mourn with those who mourn and we rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, I love it when, when you guys clap for each other. 
That's okay. God claps for you. Because God rejoices in those things that are good. And those things that his spirit is a part of. And God also mourns with you. And he calls us to mourn with each other in the same way. Because if we don't, then we're not walking with God's spirit. Then the will of God is not taking place and the work of God in his spirit, we have, we have shut down. See, as the church, our job is to seek the lost and it's to support the found. Thirdly, thirdly uh, our job is to seize the opportunities. Up, I don't have that one there. That's four, and actually it's served together. But I'm going to to seize opportunities that God gives us. Our job as the body of Christ is to look for opportunities. Our job is not to grow into a mega church and have many campuses and all that fun stuff. God does that, that's great. But the point, that's not the point. I was reading uh, some stuff by Francis Chan, just, just about his life, you know. What, what an incredible life. He, um, if I get this right, his mother died when he was, no, his first mother died giving birth to him. And then his father got remarried and his, I'm going to mess this up. His second mother died at age five. And then his father got remarried again and his father died at age six. And then he was brought up by a stepmother and stepfather who he struggled to get along with. And in all of his life, he experienced nothing but loss and tragedy. Now, I can tell you as a therapist, if you take that scenario, you're going to produce one or two kinds of people. And most likely you're going to produce the first kind, the selfish kind. The kind of person who says, you know what? The world just takes from you. God just takes from you. You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to make sure that whatever you get in life, you protect because life has a way of just stealing it away from you. That's how most people respond. Or... They respond like he's responded in his life. He's a guy who has given away 90% of his assets. He's a guy who made his church give to the poor 55, 60% of everything that comes in. He's a guy that all the horrible stuff that happened to him just it made him a humble, not bitter. It, it made him a person of compassion and concern, not a, a person of competition and isolation. Because that's what 
God is seeking to do to take us and to make us as people of compassion and concern. People who go out and they look for opportunities and they seize them because they've experienced the power of God's love in their lives. And, and they know it's the most powerful thing in the world. It's the most satisfying thing in the world to find a need, to find a hurt, to find a service and engage it. And that's what God wants for his church. And lastly, to always be seeking God's spirit, to be searching God's spirit, to be asking God through his spirit to search me and to find and reveal to me those things in me that I need to let go of. To show me what I should be doing that I'm not doing. So that, yeah, I'm Bible formed and shaped, but, but it's through the presence of God's spirit that all those things happen. I was reading um, an editorial by a, a gentleman I've, I've never heard of until recently. His name is Bruce Hansen. And um, um, he's a writer, um, and he writes uh, a lot for the uh, U.S. News and World Report. And uh, writes some great Christian stuff. And he was talking about uh, the Christians um, in Libya and how they converted a, a chapel um, that was used for worship services in order to minister to people uh, who had struggled and were dying from the Ebola virus. And he said, you know, your first thought could be, well, okay, wh- where do I go for worship service? And he said, but that is worship service. Your worship should always lead you to service. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with your worship because God's spirit is always moving and active. And yes, we worship, but it's no good if it doesn't transform us and lead us to follow what God is doing in this world as people and as the church. You know, it's interesting. We don't like to think of this term, the church battling. Spiritual warfare and all that spooky stuff. We like to think about what God is doing with our 401ks. We like to see how God is helping us find a parking space. We like to see how God is... is is shaping and leading us to the perfect job or the perfect spouse. We don't want to think about the other stuff. Let me tell you something. The most inspiring stuff on this earth, the most inspiring stuff in your lives has to do with the battle that God is waging against the powers and principalities of this world. Why? Well, number one, because the battle's already been won. It has. Jesus won that battle at the cross. The truth is, you know what our part in the battle really is? It's, it's not even a, a, a mop-up kind of mission. It, it's It's... It's being the people 
who go around announcing to the powers and principalities, you lost. He who is in us is more powerful than he's, he was in the world. Our job is, is to go around and, and to share the message of the gospel that the battle's won. And yeah, there are still embers raging and, and they can hurt us if we give in to them. But the truth is, we have the exciting job of just speaking victory of what God has done in Christ and what he's doing in us as the church through his spirit. We should be excited to be part of the church because we know that in it we're connected to God's spirit. <coughs> and as God is connected to us, he connects us to one another. And it is a beautiful thing. You want to master the basics this coming year? <coughs> master your sensitivity to God's spirit. And master seizing the opportunities that God gives you through his church. You'll master the basics. <coughs> You'll see real life change that matters and that sticks. It will change your lives. It will change your families. It will change the world around you. It will change the person inside of you. And it will be the most effective change that you'll engage in this year. Let's join our hearts in prayer.